0: Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 42 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Now if you can hear some chirps and purrs in the background there, and that is uh, the soothing ASMR sounds of Kit, the official cat of the Nicolas Cage podcast, um, who has decided to join me for the intro this week. Um, Very needy, my son. Very needy, my four-legged boy. I don't know if you can He's just sneezed there, right onto the microphone. Um, I'll just I'll just pop you down for a minute, my boy, my sweet child. A little bit different for you. A little bit of a different intro. You know, we're always throwing some different stuff out there. And this week, some soothing cat purrs. So that's nice, isn't it? That's something a little bit different. Always exciting, always moving. Always very uh, uh, very fluid. You know, just like Nicolas Cage. You never know what you're going to get. You thought you were just going to get a nice little intro from me. Um... But hark, a cat beckons Now moving on to this week's episode um, We have Lord of War Um, This is one I've been looking forward to getting round to for quite some time now And I was joined this week by stand-up comedian Maddie Campion Uh, This episode was recorded what seems like a lifetime ago In these uh, crazy corona times of ours It's March now, it's March What happened to February? That's gone. That's done. Um, We're almost a full year of these um, COVID situation that we're in. Um, This was recorded back in mid-November of 2020. So I've been sitting on this one for a little while. Uh, Really nice conversation, really just... um, composed an intellectual conversation which you don't get from me or the pretense of one at least um this was really really fun to have maddie on and join me on the journey to true cage nirvana this week i hope you'll enjoy the episode as well just before that obviously all the admin bits you can find me on twitter at cage underscore podcast twitter at Cage Rage Pod, and we stream on all the usual streaming services as well Spotify, Apple, Deezer, Stitcher, Podchaser, Google, Amazon, and some of the other ones in between as well. Um, if you're listening on one of the streaming services in which you can leave a rating, Apple or Podchaser, again, I know it sounds so cliche to ask that of you all the time, but it really does make a difference and really helps the show grow as well. But with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. It's a lot of fun, so please join me and Mary as we chat all things Lord of War. Cheers. Duh. So it is now 2005, and we move past the Disney adventures of National Treasure and onto the crime drama Lord of War. We see Nicolas Cage as an illegal arms dealer, Yuri Orlov, Charting the rise, fall, and relationships throughout his career in the eighties and nineties, or while being pursued by a relentless Interpol agent, joining me on the journey to true Cajun diviner this week to find out whether the Lord of War has plenty of ammo in the chamber or is just firing blanks is stand-up comedian, writer, and performer Maddie Campion. Maddie, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today?
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm. I'm not too free myself. I am. It's winter it's it's what it is here i am i'm chirpy that's fine
0: that's... <laughs> hey, as long as we're chirpy and we can still keep on uh well keep on keep on caging as i say here he's he's what's got me through this year i don't know if you found uh anything that's got you through it doesn't have to be cage related obviously i'm not gonna corner you so early
1: but it, I'm afraid it isn't, Kate. <laughs> uh, it's probably not. What What's got me through? I have. I've really. I. I've, I've watched a lot of TV this year. Like I was saving all my TV for my retirement, like because <laughs> I don't really have a pension. And my attitude was like, say, like everyone's like, "Oh, you got to watch Sopranos. You got to watch this. Got to do that." And I'm like, I will do when I don't, can't work anymore. When I'm elderly. And I don't yep. have a pension to spend my money, like, on nice things. I would just, then I will smash through them box sets. But now I've, I have end up watching a lot of them through circumstance of 2020.
0: Well, we've got to have something to keep us through. I mean, I take it from that you have watched The Sopranos. That's been on my to-do list. Uh, actually, no,
1: no, I haven't. Years. I've got to be honest. I started, <laughs> I watched the first episode and I was like, yeah, this is good. But nah. I've been watching, I can't, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I can't deal with anything that intense. I used to love horror. And then this year, I'm mm. just like, now life is quite horrifying. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, no, give me the fluff I want. So I've enjoyed stuff like Race Across the World. I've enjoyed stuff like anything really fluffy and, and nice and and gentle. I've been enjoying Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, uh, classic. That's, yeah, that, now they've put that back on all four all those sort of things, enjoying a lot. Uh, anything too intense, like The Sopranos, I'm like, no, not in the. Don't have the emotional bandwidth for that kind of shit right now. I mean, it's
0: sure. <laughs> we we just need the uh, a light entryway into a lot of TV, um, which why obviously Bake Off coming back is this year was like, I never knew I needed <laughs> the drama of someone staring at an oven for 20 minutes. That was the release I needed. Yeah, uh, yeah. For twenty twenty. Admittedly, I've still not watched the final and I've been just off social media all week, but I haven't seen people kicking off, which makes me think that a certain someone hasn't won. Um not naming any names in case anyone else has not listened.
1: Or in case they're listening in case they're big Nicolas Cage fans and you could be.
0: Yes. Well, it's a very niche demographic, (laughs) I'm gonna be be honest.
1: Insulting their baking. (laughs) I mean well, yeah, that way. you know, you never
0: know. You never know. I know it's it's put me mm. on. This, but if there are cage fans out there that like to bake, uh, let me know. Do you make uh, cage cookies? That would probably be nice. I think if I had the little shapes to do a little cage face, I'd be all over that. Um, but I haven't. I haven't made any food since I did food tech in high school, and then, um, even then, still, I'm still nervous about gas ovens even now. Um, had like a little clicker button to turn the glass on and I didn't know when I was supposed to stop pressing it and then the oven door blew open um very Italian job effort
1: uh I've not, never heard of that happening before that you you really mess that one up
0: I didn't do a good job um that's important to note there was a friend of mine that if this kind of I don't know if this says more about my school or my friend's abilities in food tech um we were doing cakes, um, speaking of bake-off, and he was supposed to whisk an egg. And I think most rational people realise that means you crack egg, uh, yolk in bowl. He put the full egg in with shell and was just whisking that around for about five minutes before someone stopped him.
1: Well, that would that cake definitely would have had a bite to it.
0: Um, it would have had a crunch. I think it's, yeah. it would be, and I'm using air quotes here, one of those deconstructed cakes yeah. Uh, that we hear all so much about. But um, this is what we, we find find these little things to keep us through 2020. Like I said, it's been Cage for me. It's been fluffy box sets for you. The Sopranos will get to it when we get to it. It'll still be there. I can take another 10 years of people calling me out for not watching it. Um, I only just got round to finishing Peep Show a few months ago. Guilty as charged. But in terms of cage, I've... Um, sort of put to you to look at sort of Lord of War. Um, now, before we sort of get into that, it's something I like to ask all guests, um, about your, your personal history of Cage. Um, is he someone who you're a fan of? You're not a fan? And uh, what are sort of the first Cage films that you remember watching, if he's been on like, on your radar that much?
1: I, um, I am a fan of Nicolas Cage. I think he is a bit... I mean... I think he's he's quite there's a sort of self indulgence about him, but I think uh I think a lot of times and a lot of his fans are perhaps no offense, this is you included, but I last year I went and watched not yeah, it would have been last year, I went and watched Mandy at cinema and I felt like a lot of people that had gone to see it had gone to see Nicolas Cage lose his shit and like his performance was authentic to the character's experience and they were there to like laugh at it rather than like, yeah, and they were really annoying. And me and the person that I was with in the cinema were both like, we are surrounded by dickheads. Um, but I, I, feel, I feel like Nicholas, I, was, I would say my favourite film with him in it would probably be uh, Kick-Ass. I think his performance in that is very powerful. Um, yeah. I think he's a good actor. I think he he knows exactly what to do. I mean, I feel like there is an air of nepotism, nepotism that we never actually fully discuss with Nicolas Cage, in that he does come from a massive Hollywood family. Um yeah, of course. I mean he's 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 related to both Jason Schwartzman and the Cobblers, which is quite a big they're big players in Hollywood. Um uh but I think, yeah, I think he's a, I think he's, he seems like a intriguing character. Um, and I'm all I'm all for, I'm, yeah, I'm all for Nicolas Cage.
0: I'm oh, very glad to hear that you're on the side of Cage. Um, I think it's interesting what you bring up as well. Obviously, he is part of a huge uh, Hollywood dynasty. Um, and I've sort of, thought it would be easy, very easy for him to just take in the of name and just throw the coattails of that um, I probably would have, if I was in his position, you'd be um, a made person for sort of the rest of your days, but he's adopted the name Cage, although I don't know if I could get away with that, um, being uh, just a guy from the Midlands, that would be absolutely unacceptable where I'm from, just to call yourself Cage. But I think there's uh, there's definitely an awareness about him, which I always appreciate, and I think goes uh, unnoticed by many a caged detractor, he 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 knows what the perception of him is. He sort of knows where he stands, and um, I think he's one of. And I don't. I hope it's not too bold a claim to make. I like to think he's one of sort of life's uh, great eccentrics. There's like a lovely uh, mystery and intrigue um, around him. Like I said, I don't know if you've heard of any sort of the cage rumours that end the sort of end up circling around um that add to his mystique or anything like that
1: I um well I actually studied abroad in Mississippi and he which where I studied was about an hour away from New Orleans which is where he has a base and a lot of people had sort of anecdotal like oh a friend runs a restaurant in New Orleans and he came in once and was like I want to buy everyone a bottle of wine like that kind of those kind of stories. Yeah. Um, uh, there's always the uh, his fan fandom of Superman, uh, which isn't actually discreet. He didn't he name his kid after Superman. Um,
0: yeah, he did, Kal El. Yeah.
1: Which, if I was the mother of that child, I'm not sure if I would have permitted it. Uh, but uh, I I do think. Uh, I think 1997. I would have. I would have wondered what it was like to have been an adult in 1997, when the film Face Off and Con Air came out, and just thinking that that was the future of cinema. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, I think I would have been six or seven, but to put myself in the shoes of an adult, and I think both in that those years they came out because he had. Sort of a great streak of films in the 90s, and that's when his star kind of just went stratospheric. It was like Leaving Las Vegas, which he won the acting awards for Golden Globe Academy Award, Uh, then The Rock, Con Air, Face Off, which is kind of a remarkable series of films, and I don't think he gets a lot of credit as an action star, sort of truth be told. But to be at that time, as you say there, when Nicolas Cage was the biggest star in the world, effectively, I mean, for someone like me who's got a cardboard cutout of the man, who I just move it around my house to keep myself surprised, um, what a time to be alive! What a joy! What a mm. joy that would have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot to think about.
0: <laughs> it does give you a lot to think about. Um, I think, obviously, you said that you you saw Mandy. I suppose you know very briefly, despite the dickheads uh, that were in the cinema with you. Um, what were your thoughts on Mandy? Because I find at the moment he's in a bit of a i think what i call a cage reconnaissance when he seems to be doing more trippy horror films like that as well. What were your sort of thoughts on Mandy after you came out of the cinema and the credits were rolling?
1: Well i'm a, i'm a, i'm a bit i love horror as I, we said before we started rolling so i'm always down for it. I think um i think it's a yeah it's a really i it was one of those films where you're like i'm not sure what in what world this is set in which is a very Intriguing, concept, like whether it's you can't it the way that the it sort of plays with the fact that is this set in a, a reality somewhere like in our world that we exist in, or is it in a sort of supernatural, um, alternative sort of almost like Mad Max esque world? And I think that that's that was there's something very fascinating about being pulled around like that as an audience member. Um, I mean yeah and he did a he did a, a very convincing performance uh a very i mean it's a very um powerful revenge for it, i thought
0: i personally loved it it kind of was and wasn't the film i was expecting and also from my very um so sort it's of, sort of the caveman part of my dna it's like oh chainsaw fight go on then um mm. so, absolutely not ruling that out either um I suppose in terms of, of well, the films I was and wasn't expecting, um, so we, we turn our attention to Lord of War, um, which this was a film that had been on my, I suppose you could say cage radar for a while. I'd always heard it was one of those uh, higher tier of cage film in some respect that was always worth checking out. Um, before we yeah. get into more detail about it, what was your sort of thoughts on Lord of War? Now that's sort of fresh in your memory.
1: Well, I was aware of this film uh i remember i kind of remember when it came out and it getting a lot of like praise um because i'm a film fan i keep my eyes on the ground and that was when i used to use that's when i had my broadband dial up wi-fi anyway either way and i used to like the when you're you're like you're a teenager and you're like what kind of websites oh i like films so let's go and film websites i remember there being like positive Response to that film, mm. uh, *Lord of the War*. Um, I feel like I feel like I did actually try watching it when I was younger, but just because. But I don't know if it's just like i tired and I've got deja vu. But yeah, I was aware that it was. But I remember there's another film that he made with Hilary Duff in it, and I could not remember what it's called. Um, and I wasn't sure which one was which. Uh, but I would say it's a fine enough film but it's not there's nothing particularly distinctive that would make it a cage film for me
0: yeah i am um, absolutely get what you mean there. cuz i've um when sort of discussing his work with a sort of uh, friend of mine before we've sort of said there is a i guess two categories of cage films there's nicolas cage films and there's films nicolas cage is in um so i suppose if you're looking for a classic cage film I'll a la, say, vampires kiss all the wicker Man, where he's gonna scream and lose his shit then uh this isn't it i think you have to get some films where i think depending on sort of the skill of the director the writer sometimes i think he has to be reined in a bit otherwise he'll go a little over the top but um this is one of those films that he played relatively straight which it always sounds weird to say but it sounds so weird when he just acts. And I'm like, oh.
1: He plays, I think it's, it's an interesting because he plays kind of, it's a, quite a smarmy character, but he doesn't play it quite smarmy enough for you to be, he I mean, it's almost like a Wolf on Wall Street character, but not quite self-involved enough for you to hate him, but not quite interesting enough for you to like him. Like, yeah. I think it was just a, quite a bland character.
0: Yeah, no, actually, I completely understand what you're saying, because um, so from the start of his progression to the end, uh, again, skipping ahead here, you can't help but feel like he's learnt nothing on this, if anything, kind of traumatic journey about being a gun smuggler. And he's kind of back to, he's kind of looped back to square one. It's kind of in a sitcom way, where by the end of the episode, the characters reset and they've not really learnt anything. I think the only thing that changed was um, because it does follow him through the eighties and the nineties. The only sort of progression we get is you can tell he's a bit older by how much further back his hair has been pushed.
1: (laughs) I also, when this film revealed that it was in the nineteen eighties, it was quite far in. He's yeah. like, and I was like the cold one. I was like, nothing like they've done the least amount of effort to make this look like an 80s. <laughs> like it's certainly like, yeah. I was like, where is the crimped hair? Where are the perms? Where is the like spandex? Like, come on, dress it up a little, you know? I feel, yeah. I feel like let down in that there was not enough. You know what? I, you know what? If you're going to sell it in the 80s, commit a bit more to like the hairspray, you know?
0: I'm glad you pointed that out actually because I couldn't help but notice um, it was just there as a backdrop as they sort of mentioned in the narration or in the occasional uh, sort of old news footage that they had like oh it was the Mm. 80s it was the 90s I think they had a TV clip of the OJ Simpson trial on at one point in the 90s and I was like ah yes when I think of the 90s I of course think of OJ Simpson thank you for the context Lord of War um, yeah. I think maybe one more boombox would have been appreciated. Yeah, like,
1: you know what they could have. And also, he at one point says, "Oh, I'm like the Q train." And there's one thing about subway trains in New York that in the '80s, I think it's up until the '90s, like the subway was horrific. Like every every train was like covered in paint, and you know, I was like, "If you're gonna, if you're gonna set, yeah," I was just like, "I'm not convinced." Like. That you, they, I feel like they, I would have, if they didn't mention anything to the world events, I would have been like, oh, this film's set in 2005. Like they yeah. did nothing, they did yeah. absolutely nothing. And for that, they should pay.
0: <laughs> uh, well, writer, producer, director Andrew Nickel, uh, responsible for that absolute error. Oh,
1: I didn't actually think to look up, I could find him on Twitter and say, you've done a bad job. Andrew Uh,
0: if you're listening Maddie's coming for you well
1: he's done some he's done he's probably done some uh let me just see oh my gosh he's only 56 years old
0: and interestingly I didn't realize this he also wrote the Truman Show in 1998
1: oh my god and that would what so that's 20 years ago he would have only been like early 30s when he wrote that wow skills man
0: something like that yeah, I mean you've um, got Truman Show on one end of the uh, of the cage equation here, and then you've got Lord of War, the complete opposite. So uh, I, I, I think, always yeah. find it fascinating.
1: I'm not saying I don't think. Oh, do you know what he's? I feel like Truman Show is like it's what definitely one. Did he write it and direct it? Let me have
0: a uh, check. Co-produced, I think, but did write it and he got. I,
1: oh, he wrote it, but he didn't direct it. I was going to say that is a, such a distinctive film, and it would be surprising to find out if he Mm. had such amazing skills as a director in that film and then okay director skills in Lord of the War. Um, I think though, do you know what? I think it's, I think it's, it's an interesting, do you know what? I say this film, it's like, it doesn't want to be too crass and gratuitous, but it's not quite highbrow enough to like really sort of be like it. And you know what? Finding out that he wrote the terminal has made that sense. Cause I think, yeah, I think this film could have become way more flamboyant. It could have been a lot more ridiculous. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Or, or it could have been a lot more.
0: Um, I think that's, is that the ghost that of, of Andrew Nichol for, for you trashing? Or it could
1: have been a lot more. Well, he's, I mean, he's, he's, He's not that he's not that old. He's still he's still living at uh 56. I'm surprised to you know when you f- think you're like, Oh, oh, am I speaking to of the dead? And then you look them up and you're like, No, they're you know, they're only middle aged. Yeah, um, still very much with Yeah, us. he um yeah. So uh you know what, he wrote a very brilliant film in the Truman Show. But and there were some great shots in uh Lord of War, but I don't think the pace was necessarily um, meaty enough. I think it wasn't meaty enough for me. I like a bit of meat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely like a bit of meat on my cage films uh, and my cage, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, This is what we said, like like with Andrew uh, Nichol, I always find it um, like it shouldn't be a surprise, but interesting to find what else the people behind the scenes have done. I mean, for me, the biggest one, um, if you look at a film like Con Air, the guy who directed that, um, it was his first sort of major Hollywood film, but it turns out he'd also directed the music video to Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. And that's that journey um, is something I yeah. need to know.
1: Well, you know what? He, he took the 90s and he built them. He built with them. So whereas I feel Andrew Nichol, he's... I feel like it's interesting that he's, like, really covered. So he's he's made The Terminal, which I suppose about immigration and displacement. He's made The Truman Show, which is show about, like, uh, I, what we, I suppose, what we take. And, um, you know, it's almost like it's a precursor to reality TV, but also, like, the consumerism of the individual. And mm. then you've got Lord of War, which is very much about, you know the economic success that can be that can come from a war so they're very sort of like uh very much uh films that are holding a mirror up to society and i yeah i think well not society i suppose revealing stuff but um i just feel like this film didn't quite go as far as it could like i think they really wanted us to like the i felt like they really wanted us to like Nicolas cage's character
0: yeah i get that i but, get that
1: and i and i'm just sort of like i don't know why like why do they need us to like him like um i i like they would he just does some you know he does some very pragmatic things he does some terrible things he does some okay things but he's he's I suppose maybe he is just like the average salesman in that he's just bland and annoying Uh, (laughs) and maybe that's what he's really saying but um but yeah in many ways it's sort of maybe the honesty in this film leaves it being a lot less interesting a movie
0: yeah i mean like i said i don't know if it's um an advertisement as salesman as a career it's like the, the apprentice gone to the extreme um i mean i i was i don't know about you but he's kind of i don't even know if you could call them motivations for getting into the arms trade seemed a bit um i don't know shallow at best because he um obviously he was saying about New York being a backdrop and he was saying it's always dangerous, but I've always just happened to have missed the danger. And on the one occasion that he does see a failed hit on a mob boss, is like weapons are really cool. I'm into this. And I thought, you're not like you're not traumatized. There's like no damage to deal with.
1: Well, I mean, they you know what? People in the eighties, they they had less <laughs> they had less I don't think they'd even. I don't think PTSD was even like it was that they didn't even know that was a real thing until the nineties. So I won't hold his men, I won't judge his like mental response to that that much. But um, okay. I Here's uh, some business. I felt like I needed to be convinced more motivation for money. Like it was. I think to yeah. I think I needed more. But, yeah, I think I needed a bit more convincing that um his motivation sorry that that's he really fine. wanted the money he wanted to sell weapons because like that's a thing that like I felt like he must be making lots of money selling weapons but like like in other films where you have characters that are doing you know like this is almost like I feel like okay the most long-winded way of saying this I feel like this is a bit of a stale school lazy film like, nice. I feel like if I feel like if Scorsese had tackled this, it would be a lot juicier, it would be a lot meatier, um, because I think he is a lot better at creating characters that are like, I want money, I'm a piece of shit, but you're gonna want to hear my story. Mm. And I don't think, I think maybe this is a testimony to how Andrew Nichol is, or Nichol is, and a, probably quite a nice, polite kind man in that he perhaps wants to protect his characters and have them be live better lives i don't know
0: i mean i, I love that the analysis is that you can just tell from a film about guns that the director's a nice man um, um i'd like to think dive.
1: so i'd like to think so
0: <laughs> i mean like like you say though um i just going back to something i mentioned earlier um I think with I think with the characters, especially with Uri's, who's kind of our, our rise into this world, um, he seems to have hit sort of one level and kind of stayed there throughout the film. Uh, like, so it's like, okay, I'm going to sell guns now. And now I'm selling more guns. And by the end of the film, it's like, I'm going to go back to selling guns. So I think, like, he hit her level. And I don't know if this is just me sort of trying to look deeper into into the film, but I was kind of hoping that, by the point where he'd um, sort of lost his wife and his child, by the time where his his mother said both of my sons are dead, and when a uh, poor Vitali Jared Leto had blown himself up and been um, sort of shot down like Defoe Platoon, I was kind of hoping that maybe there would have been some takeaway from that, but. Just sort of emotionally wrecked, he slumps back down into his chair to agree a deal about some guns and some diamonds and
1: well I suppose maybe when you're like fuck it man, I can't get my wife back, my can't sew my brother back up, fuck it, let's make some money. <laughs> let's make some money. But I guess on a deeper level, uh that would it would be a sort of like, oh, that is the That is what a lot of these people are like, I suppose they do get in a situation. And I I don't know. I suppose, what are we but all? We find ourselves in a job and we're like, shit, man, I do not enjoy this job, but I don't know how to get out of it because I need the paycheck. Oh, shit, I guess I'm an arms dealer.
0: (laughs) And it's as quick as that. It happens to the best of us.
1: Yeah, it happens to the best of us. And also, I suppose, like, if you think you're a good person you probably think oh it's better that i'm an arms dealer than that piece of shit over there's an arms dealer you know
0: yeah um ian home that piece of shit um
1: yeah he kept I mean,
0: popping up and i was like what's what's bilbo doing here
1: yeah poor old bilbo he did get lost and you have mordor <laughs> i think uh i think though um I don't really, I don't really understand the point of Jared Leto's um, characters' like journey. Like, oh, he 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 suddenly got addicted to cocaine after one sniff. Yeah, and that was it. He's now he's now proper cokehead. Always got a fluzy. Always got a floozy in the house. I feel I feel bad for those actresses. Can you imagine? Oh fat, man, I'm finally getting finally getting a role in a. And there's only there's only there's only two roles, there's only three different kind of roles that you can have as a as a woman in this film. It's uh you're a a poor woman trying to sort of do the best you can in a war-torn country. Yeah. You are married to one of the male protagonists, or you're floozy.
0: Yeah, it's um very limited. It's like if you're not. Being escorted out of Cage's apartment with a wad of cash, um, he's screaming at you in Africa, shouting "AIDS, AIDS!" There's very there's not a lot of middle ground unless you're a wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> from this what, film, what,
1: which one? Which woman do do you identify most of as in this film? Which female characters?
0: Oh, that's put me on the spot. I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm floozy material. No, no offense to those who can get mm. cast as floozies. Um, I don't I think... believe I have uh, any sexually transmitted diseases. I think I'd have to go down the middle and go wife.
1: I think you'd be I think you'd either be the wife or the mum. That's who I'd cast you as.
0: Like we've been chatting for about half an hour and you're like you're a mother. I get that. I get you're the motherly mother, you're
1: a mother of a warlord.
0: <laughs> well, I always said for my for my fictitious future children, I will support them no matter what. And if they would if they want some blood diamonds my God, they're going to bring in some blood diamonds and make Mama proud.
1: Well, I mean, this is has, has Amnesty International. Because I saw, I read up, this film is endorsed by Amnesty International. And how many films are endorsed by Am- Amnesty International? Because that's quite an honour. Uh, yeah. I mean, not necessarily. Um, let me let me actually Google that. Uh, I don't necessarily know. If it's a an honour for like critical in the critical sense but yeah
0: i mean it can't be many it can't be many because reading into this i think because of the content of the film there wasn't any u.s studios that would back it so they had to find international finances um so it makes sense that amnesty would come on board
1: it looks like most of the ones that they most amnesty international endorsed films are documentaries uh the ones that they're like these are great human rights films Wow. Uh So, yeah, not many. Not many. Yeah, but just, oh, no. That's nice, So that they're looking out for, looking out, they're watching films, they're like, yeah, this is a, an important one to watch. So, uh, yeah. What an honor, awesome.
0: eh? Well, there you go, Andrew Nichol and Cage getting the Amnesty seal of approval. So if that doesn't get that warm feeling inside you when the credits roll, then I don't know what will um
1: yeah dear white people they've endorsed dear white people which is a great film uh the thin blue line which is an interesting choice i've not seen it but i know that everyone's a bit like about police right now i don't really know but yeah so I'd say this is the only film probably in my knowledge that I've clicked on the Wikipedia page and it says this film from the, from the get go. You're like, Lord of War, straight underneath that, this film endorsed by Amnesty International.
0: I mean, can't go wrong with an endorsement like that. Um, I mean, like I say, um, they had to go to international finances because the US backers didn't want to touch it. Um, And I suppose that ties into how the film ends saying it's based on actual events with a, USA, France, China, Russia, and ourselves in the UK being the biggest arms dealers in the world, mm. all of us with permanent memberships to the United Nations security Councils. Um,
1: yeah, and and also charities. remember when uh, I mean fingers crossed no no longer the case, but when comic relief, they it turned out that they were ga- they were funding arms trade for to boost revenue.
0: Is that actually true? But I remember I heard about that, but I wasn't sure if that was just.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They invested. Well, I suppose it's like any charity, well, not any charity, but a lot of charities are like right. They run like a business, and so it's like oh, um, I mean that, that's not to say that they're not doing remarkable things, but you know they're trying to increase the amount of their income, and they will be like, what can we invest it in? And the investors will be like, these are safe. Industries, these are good things, and then mm. and then it turns out, oh, dear, they've invested in guns.
0: Is there no depth to which Lenny Henry will not sink? Mm. Is the wow. question I... Is Lenny Henry basically the lord of war for the modern maybe, generation? Maybe, maybe
1: he is. Maybe he is. you have to tweet him and ask him that.
0: Like between Premier Inns, what are you actually up to, Henry? <laughs> these are the answers I need.
1: Is he still is he still involved with Comic Relief? Because I know that he was very much he was very much critical of their presence in sort of African and developing nations. In that sort of you know it's very much white saviour. So I don't know if he is he is on good terms. I think it's more Richard or it is a Richard Curtis charity, isn't it? He, he, yeah, um, I
0: think I think he is still involved. I think there's news. A uh, quick Google search. There was some news that just a few weeks ago, end of October, uh, said he was proud that uh, comic relief will stop sending celebrities and uh, playing the good old white saviour role, which we all know and love so much. Um, because if a white didn't save it, did it really need saving in the first place? Um, but it's not, you know, Lenny Henry. Mm. Maybe I think the- maybe,
1: maybe well, I think I'd, I'd instead of Lenny Henry being the Lord of the War, maybe it's Richard Curtis.
0: Maybe I mean between the two. He is, of them. I
1: think he's he's the founder of Comfort Relief, isn't he?
0: I think so. I think so. Yeah. so it's kind of between the two of them. Um, one and of them is Nicholas Cage. One of them is Ian Home.
1: There's a lot of um. There's a lot of war esque themes in Love Actually, and also Richard Coyle films. They really fetishize American women, so it seems quite war grey to me.
0: Well, I'm not saying that we're uncovering a massive conspiracy about Curtis films here, but, and I didn't want to point the fingers and I didn't want to lead you to this conclusion um, so soon, but Curtis, time's ticking, my friend. We're on to you. Um, but with that, uh, so that said, um, I see, I, with this film, I was kind of like, because I think, like what you said, it's very, it plays a lot of stuff quite. Straight, I think some of stuff could have been delved into a bit more. Um, I think there's a lot of good shots in the film though. Yeah. Um, that the opening I thought was genuinely brilliant. I thought it was a great opening, like the life cycle of a bullet. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, very um, uh, it's almost like a precursor to that Amnesty International. Advert. Oh, no, that Saves the Children advert, but it's like, yeah, one girl every day for a second. Um, yeah, a very visual. And also sort of when you go, there's a nice sweeping shot. And I was like, Oh, look at this, look at this crane shot going through the bullets. And then yeah. Nicolas Cage does his best flea bag, turns around, and it's like, <laughs> what are we gonna do with the other eleven people who aren't armed? Also, yeah. the statistic there, they're like one in twelve people. There's enough guns for one in twelve people. I, I reckon there's more guns than that.
0: Yeah, you're calling it, you're calling it now.
1: I believe, I reckon I reckon there's probably enough guns in the world to equip every one with two guns. I'm not saying the guns will be any good. I'm not gonna say like if, if war broke out, everyone's gonna have an equal fight, but
0: <laughs> I well, reckon
1: everyone could have two guns.
0: I mean, if we get to that point uh, and with the way twenty twenty is going, I think we're gonna be those other eleven people in the one in twelve trying to get armed. If I'm going to be armed, then dual wield me. I would like to have two holsters either side, just cowboy and John Wayne that right up.
1: Um, Probably one of those guns where you have to like smack it on the head to.
0: Those sort of like classic six shooters, um, like the whole Western standoff sets. And if I'm going to go in, um, if I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory, and who would have thought it'd be over toilet roll or bread in our lifetimes? Um, but if that's, how I'm going to go down in like aisle five of my local Morrison's, then so be it.
1: No, it's good. I it's mean, going to be drag. let's hope you don't do any shooting because this podcast might not uh, might not work well against you in the court of law. But fair enough, if that's what you, that's how you want to play it. You you've said it. You'll take people down in in the Morrison's.
0: I'll make it very clear, Maddie is not complicit in my. Toilet paper defense here. Um, Very much innocent, Leaf a B, got a life to live.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think I would, I could be the Lord of War. I'd be like, I'd be really intense, but also like create world peace. So it'd be good.
0: Would you be one of those um, sort of lords in the sense that they they have the products, but they never use it? You sort of keep yourself detached in that kind of way. You're just about the numbers. I
1: think I just walk around in a big cape, and everyone's like, "Yeah, we respect
0: that." <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I think you've got the nail on the head. There's me saying, "I know how I'm gonna die. I'm prepared. I am prepared to go down." You're like, I'm "Just gonna put a cape on."
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think, exactly. if anything, you've made a much more striking argument, and I yield to your pers- <laughs> to your persuasive, yeah. imaginative uh, take.
1: I am. I am the Lord Madeline. of War. What can I say?
0: decided absolutely decided um if that's not your new introduction for anything that you do from now on um uh, you can call me maddie off stage we on it's it's yeah. lord of war um wow. so genuinely outstanding stuff um just in a bit sort of digging into the film as well um there's a few things that i uh, sort of picked up which i thought were quite interesting obviously talking about Guns and arm them and all this. Uh, there was a point where they have like uh, it's like three thousand AK forty sevens or something like that, and they've got them on a giant scale because um, Cage is talking about how basically money talks um, as opposed to anything else. And um, so apparently they actually bought a real stockpile of guns um, because in this world somehow it's cheaper to buy real weapons than Hollywood props. So I can believe that: method.
1: I can believe that. I just hope it, everything had a uh, had proper blanks because everyone everyone's I mean, if you don't, then the reading the um've you know what how can i I can't talk properly. I hope they did use proper blanks because uh, we all know what happened in the crow. Yes. And there's another film where someone got shot. They didn't die. I feel like it was a Peter Jackson film where they they just basically, as the stuntman got like, got a, a bad injury because there was...
0: I feel like I know the mm, film. Because the blank
1: had off. a little, the blank had like, I think they took, the blank wasn't packed properly or something.
0: Yeah, obviously I know obviously the... the the infamous stories that uh Brandon Lee obviously died on the set of the crow being shot with a blank, but I could I know that there's a second one as well, but I just can't think of the uh think of the title of it. Um but it kind of I do hope it was blank because it kind of with the way they sort of sourced um props and the like it wouldn't surprise me if it was real. Um there's that part where he goes to visit his Uh, Russian uncle um, or Ukrainian uncle I should say who's now overlooking some independent soldiers and they have that massive line of tanks that's going down the airstrip Um, so apparently with that one those tanks did actually belong to a real Czech arms dealer who lent them out uh, to the filmmakers but then was like I need them back by December because I'm going to sell these.
1: Wow. Um,
0: And then they had further than that and I I don't know how exactly this adds up, but um, allegedly the filmmakers had to inform NATO that they were doing a scene with a bunch of tanks because they didn't want satellite footage to go back to them and think they were arming an actual war with Commander Cage at the helm. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, there'd be some spies looking at that and being like, oh, shit. Well, there was a film where they had... Was it World War Z or World War Z where they... Like they got taken down like the bomb police came and stopped them filming because they they didn't they weren't aware that they were they were filming and they got stopped because they had guns. I think it might have been World War Z. But yeah, it's, you gotta gotta think these things through.
0: Well, exactly. I I suppose um if you're gonna get weapons on the set, then you've got to let people know. But I just kind of think imagine the conversation if they'd gone to NATO and thought this is kind of an important scene. Um and if NATO were kind of like, where did you get them? They're like, <laughs> mm. oi, uh, doesn't matter.
1: I wonder if they did say to NATO, because what NATO going to do? And be like, hey, arms <laughs> dealer. I mean, it's it's probably legal to sell weapons, isn't it?
0: Um, well, if this film's anything to go by, if you can doctor the right paperwork and fool even, yeah. early, then you absolutely Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like what it n I feel like no one obeys, and as long as you can you know you can paint a ship quick enough, that was a nice little touch there but i uh yeah, I think i mean i I reckon NATO I feel like any company I don't trust that everyone's working hard enough that they would they would stop a if anything they would probably relieved they'd be like, okay, we know there's a war going on. Like, in case we hadn't done our research, we now know that there is. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that CIA have sold weapons to many people that have ended up being, like, enemies of America. (laughs) They sold sold weapons to al-Qaeda, didn't they? the
0: CIA. Um, I, I think so. Like I think in the same sense, I think we in the UK sold weapons to Saudi Arabia, I think it is. Yeah, I
1: think we still do as well.
0: Um, I, th- I think I remember one of the, um, there seems to be a lot, obviously a lot of petitions went around this year. One of them was um, about trying to stop selling arms to Saudi. I wrote to my MP, which, uh, my MP, Andrea Jenkins, a notoriously uh, right-wing Uh, conservative was basically like (laughs) life
1: yeah i feel like as well there's like there's there's countries that we sell weapons to who sell weapons to our allies that we can't directly sell weapons to so like for example people fighting isis like it was a case of like we were selling arms like we weren't selling arms to the Kurds, but we were selling arms to people that we knew were going to sell to the Kurds. And I think I, I this, again, someone in their own time can do the research and make a documentary about this, but I feel like we have armed the Palestinian army and then our allies America have, well, They we know that they've, they fund the Israeli army. So it's like, it's, it's very intriguing how... How into place? So I feel like NATO—they—they probably got bigger fish to fry. Uh,
0: probably, but it must have been a fun call for them to take that day. But, yeah. Um,
1: I wonder who you inquire to, like NATO filming department.
0: <laughs> well, the guy, the the person who took that call is probably that's their icebreaker. It's like, yeah, Lord of War wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for uh, this uh, old chap here. Yeah, they're still yeah, going you, on about it.
1: Yeah, that someone's probably very chuffed that they. They, were, they helped make a Nicolas Cage film happen.
0: Um, I, I wish it was me. Uh, but I suppose that it sort of comes into uh, what we're saying about uh, we sort of sell to almost kind of third parties who get them to the, the real bad people. Um, and then it's all kind of sort of above board, but it isn't. Um, I suppose it's as Cage describes himself in the film as a an equal opportunity merchant of death, selling to every army except the Salvation Army. Um, mm. So, does does he have a conscience? Sort of, kind of. Um, all we know is that his brother is too busy snorting cocaine in the shape of Ukraine. Um, that must have mm. taken a while as well. When Cage just knocked that off the table. Do
1: you think they spell I'm in the script annoyed. Ukraine? Do you think they that it?
0: Missed if there's a remake happening, right? And we've always we already know that you're the Lord of War. Yeah. If you're not at least consulted on cocaine shapes um and ca- cocaine shapes and capes, um yes. then missed I, uh, opportunity.
1: Well, I was gonna there was one thing that when we oh, man of oh yeah. Do you know what I think's worse than actually it's not worse than selling weapons, but Uh, What is also really cheeky is him buying his wife's artwork when it's actually okay artwork. Like, like, mate, you could easily flog that. Like, you don't have to just buy all her artwork and leave it in a crate. Like, you can... You you could easily donate this to, like... Like, he could have bought that all and donated it to, to, like, a high school or a library or a university. Like, someone's going to be like... You know what or even an old people's home, like you didn't have to store it in your own house, like your own property, not building his house, but
0: Yeah. A few things he didn't think through um when Ava, his wife, who basically just know he's uh, been ogling for about a decade, then he buys her to a buys her out to a, a fake photo shoot and then they both happen to be on the beach. And he pulls his camera out and is like, I'll take your picture. And then just starts taking the picture. And uh, thus, a romance was born. Yeah. I just kind of, I kind of think maybe someone just started taking my picture. Like, <laughs> we're not there yet. We're not there well,
1: yet. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you looked like Ava, you'd be like, of course. I am Maybe having some photos taken.
0: Or if Nicolas Cage would start taking my picture. The fanboy me would come out and admit, like I'm like, <laughs> stuff at you. What you? He's also,
1: to? he's also, he's also like, he's lucky that she's actually quite a nice, well, pe- she's a lovely person because, like, like c- a lot of showbiz people I've met of like that status, like we've all we've all encountered influencers or heard stories about them. Yeah, and, Like sure. if you did that, they would just be really stressy and like, <sighs> <sighs> and like yeah. would not be fun to chat to. And they probably she might not have even wanted to make chit chat with Nicolas Cage, the Lord of War. So that was a risky move. And I'm it's lucky it paid off because I don't, I don't even know that'd pay off. I mean, he's lucky that this happened before mobile phones were invented,
0: (laughs) before the advent of social media and mobile phones. It's like Nicolas Cage is taking pictures of me on the beach but it's yeah. 1980 question mark, so I guess this is okay.
1: Yeah, precisely, precisely.
0: Different times, but like I say, I don't think I would have kept the, um, kept the painting in a container um, that she could just very easily follow me to because yeah. he was prepared for every eventuality except the one where his wife understandably started asking questions about his life Um, because she was told by an Interpol agent Um, what a succession of events what a succession of events And poor Jack Valentine fooled fooled at every turn
1: fooled to bits
0: container of potatoes, paperwork Um, I kind of think like you just left a man that you can legally detain for 24 hours out in sort of the African sun in a full suit and that as you as the plane was being stripped. Um and that's fine. I mean I I I feel there's some legal grey areas in there, but um as a man who's not a part of Interpol myself, I and has never been held captive legally for twenty-four hours in um sort of the African desert in Sierra Leone. I don't I don't really know.
1: Um Well, what hopefully you'll never have to find out.
0: I hope not, but again, there's a month of 2020 left, so who knows? Um, but I find it interesting with Ethan Hawke. I always have time for him because he was the, uh, an actor that said that I've praised of Nicolas Cage, said he's one of the few actors to do um, something with the medium and push it forward since Marlon Brando. Um, now, sort of as we sort of come to the end of Lord of War, um, I don't know if, uh, based on this film alone, you feel he's pushed the medium forward, And wrapping up, I suppose, what are your sort of final thoughts on Lord of War? Is it one you'd watch again? Is it one you'd you'd recommend?
1: I think I would, for anyone who, like, do you know what? Do you know what? It'd be a good film to show school, like, teenagers, to give them a sort of understanding of both Soviet, like a very vague understanding of the war and Soviet... Uh, history and 90s and 80s like just to to debrief them all in that I think it's a very it'd probably be a very it'd be the sort of film that I think we would have been shown in school to warn us of the dangers of becoming a lord war a warlord Um, but uh, I don't know whether it's a film that I would have paid to see in the cinema but equally I think I think my granddad would have liked that film and (laughs) yeah and I think it's, I think there's, you know, it's just about interesting enough. It tames, it tames quite, it t- it's quite a tame film for something that is quite violent and uh, something that's quite intriguing topic maker, but I don't think, I don't think it's quite juicy. I think I would be very interested to see someone like Scorsese tackle the same subject and still with Nicolas Cage in it,
0: of course, because you've got to sell that film at the end of the day, haven't you? Um yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think it, it could have gone a lot deeper. It could have been easily darker. I think at most, you know, we saw Jared Leto die in a sort of a blaze of glory to try and um, turn. I mean, some what around. what
1: ninety film? What ninety film does Jared Leto not die in?
0: That's a good point, actually, because he's mm. one of those actors for me that I, every time he pops up in something, like, "Oh, it's Jared Leto," I forget that you're an actor. Oh, you're dead, um, and then, and then the film continues. I think my last-
1: flatmate, my flatmate, he's in the next room. You probably hear this. He didn't know that Jared Leto was an actor before he became uh, a like a rock star. Um, yeah.
0: And
1: do you know what, something that lives in my mind rent free is uh, Elijah Wood, who also produced mandy the Nicolas cage film he's a big uh his film his film production company are very much into that kind of stuff um he once slagged off jared leto's band 30 seconds for mars and jared leto stormed up to him at like an awards ceremony. he was like who are you think you are slagging off my music and, and, and uh or like being like Chris, they probably say the word slag enough because it's a British term, but he was like how are you? And, and Liger George was just like, yeah, I don't know, I don't like it. So what? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and I think about, it. could you imagine being so pissed off that someone didn't like your music that um that you would confront them about it because you think your music is so good that it can't be criticised. So that's how I feel about Jared And um, also Frodo Baggins Bilberry Baggins brings us back to Ian Holm, the Lord of War.
0: The uh, the OG Lord of War, who tried to write Cage off, um, ended up getting out apprenticed by him, and then subsequently with um, Andy Senior and Andy Junior gets a bullet to the head for his troubles, and then just spooks Cage for um, sort of the rest of the film. Um, I. I Every time he came on, I was kind of expecting him to sort of have like a little golden good and just sort of hurrah at the screen. Um, never quite happened. Um, so, you know, I got a duck points for the for the. Mm, could be better if there
1: was more spookiness.
0: Yeah, Ian Holm, there was an opportunity to bring the spook. Um, real lacking on the spook game. Uh, no disrespect to Ian Home, But, you mm. know, I, I like what I like and I won't apologise for that. Um But with Frodo Baggins, criticise more bands. Um, Imagine 30 Seconds to Mars thinking they're above uh, the ring bearer. Unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable attitude.
1: Yeah, and their music is shit.
0: That being said, though, with what you said about your housemate, I actually, I'd heard of 30 Seconds to Mars before I heard of Jared Leto, the the actor. So that was kind of my sort of sequence of events for um, uh, learning about Leto as well. And I was like how old is this man? He's infinite. Why is he now in everything that I'm watching?
1: Yeah, he's been around. He's been around for a long time. Well, I feel like he was like, because he was in, I think because I, maybe because I'm probably like just that tiny bit older than you. Like that if you're in your late 20s, you would have watched films where Gerard Leto was like the heartthrob. And so you would have been introduced to Gerard Leto. Like even as like, a 15 year old watching Fight Club like I would, oh my god there's another cute guy on on the screen and so that's how I think a lot of teenage girls like know of him and knew him before 30 Seconds to Mars whereas yeah if you're I suppose into 30 Seconds to Mars then you would find him the other way
0: yeah I mean uh, I mean, he's,
1: he's, he's a child actor wasn't he he's in like a lot of
0: I feel like he's been around a lot longer yeah. than I care to um yeah care to admit. I think my first introduction to him was him being uh, hacked to death by Patrick Bateman in American Psycho.
1: Yeah. And uh what else was well, he in my So Called Life, which is a big uh teen series from like the nineties as well. It's all on YouTube.
0: What what haven't you done, Jared Leto?
1: I think he hasn't I don't think he's done a rom com
0: only 48 Um, as well. Genuinely fascinating. Did you hear this thing, and I'm sure it was Jared Leto, that he had some kind of private island for a time? I think he's running
1: a cult now. Yeah, I've heard he's running a cult, which is the sort of thing that I think Nicolas Cage is what we'd expect him to do. So maybe working with Nicolas Cage did not have the effect it should have had on Jared Leto.
0: I mean, some of us start cults some of us start podcasts it's the cage effect um, this is what happens when you get a first-hand caging um, would I recommend it? yeah, kind of, sort of, but depends what you're going to do with all that influence and all that power, quite frankly um, yeah, Leto what dead, a... Bilbo dead cage still here still kicking
1: what a, what a note to end on but I applaud it <laughs>
0: Thank you. Well, you know, if nothing else, I tried to end on maybe a philosophical note about Cage. Um, we can end on this. Guns, bad, Cage, good. Letter, somewhere in between. Um, so I hope, I hope that's got listeners thinking. Um, but we come to the end of our uh, exploration of Lord of War. Um, if you're listening, don't do guns. Do cage uh, guns don't kill people. Nicholas Cage does question mark. Um, so thank you for listening. If you have been uh, Maddie Campion, thank you once again for joining me thank to talk about much. Lord of War. It's been a pleasure. Uh, where can we find you on uh, the old socials?
1: I am at diary of a Maddie and that is Maddie spelled M-A-D-D-I-E. Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, I also, when live comedy returns, I should be performing around. If you want to find out where my gigs are, they are at my website, maddiecampion.com.
0: Everyone, please go and follow Maddie on social media. Hit up maddiecampion.com and keep an eye out for when comedy returns. Uh, may it return soon and go and check out Maddie Campion and uh, wonderful wonderful stand-up once again thank you for joining me on the journey to true cage nirvana uh, thank you for listening again if you have been and until next time keep on keep on caging it's all you have to do take care Bye bye